The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Matthew chapter 28 this morning. We'll begin at verse number 1. As we come to this text, let me remind you that this comes after a horrible devastation on Friday. Every dream and every hope the disciples had in Jesus Christ as they looked to the cross, as they fled in fear, was dashed. They were completely devastated. I I think often we forget about Saturday, the next day, to sort of think through what had just taken place, try to process what had happened. And I can't imagine then on a Saturday all day long thinking about the one who they believed was the hope of the world, the Messiah now gone. And everything that they had dreamt of was gone. And now we come to Matthew 28, the first day of the week, starting at verse number one. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord laid. This is the word of the Lord. And Jesus Christ is risen today. He is risen indeed. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the keystone of all Christianity. That he literally, in a body, physical body, came forth from the tomb. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ rests on a literal empty tomb and a living Jesus. This is the historical fact that the apostles witnessed. This is the truth that they bled and died for. And this is what we proclaim and teach this morning, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Now, let me say this as we begin this morning. This is not an apologetic. This is not a defense of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I will not do that this morning. I am aware that in a crowd like this, I'm sure there are people who you are here um, to be kind, to be invited. Maybe you're a skeptic this morning. Um, And I want you to know the message is not directed towards you. But let me say this to you this morning. I I find through experience that most people who have a problem with Jesus Christ and the resurrection, it is hardly ever an intellectual problem. It's not as if they really searched out the facts and wanted to know the truth of the matter. Can I tell you something this morning? Christianity has been around for almost 2,000 years, and every skeptic and unbeliever has taken a hammer to the Word of God and the truth in the Word of God, the anvil, if you will, and every hammer and every skeptic has been broken. And so this morning, if you would just think through some thoughts that if you really have an intellectual problem that you have to answer, you have to answer this morning the empty tomb. Because friend and foe, Acknowledge the tomb was empty. You have to answer why it is that 11 men who were terrified, hiding in a room, 
later would loudly proclaim the gospel that Jesus Christ is risen in the very city that he was killed. You have to answer why it is that every one of these men, except one who was on the Isle of Patmos, right? He was in seclusion. But every other man gave their life, dying an excruciating martyr's death, knowing that if they made this up, they were dying for a lie. You have to explain this morning how it is that the Sabbath day, what the Jew identified with Saturday, is all of a sudden changed to the first day of the week, Sunday. What in the world would, would, would change that day with such magnitude? And then you have to answer the Apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, who hated the church, who sought to destroy the church, and, and gave his life to destroy Christianity. All of a sudden now, he is converted on the road to Damascus, and he becomes the greatest missionary of the Christian faith. I would submit to you this morning, your problem with Christ is probably not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem. Because you know, when you acquiesce and believe that Jesus Christ physically got out of the ground, then he is the Lord of all. And as the Lord of all, you have no right to live your life the way you want to, to do what you want to, to be involved in what you want to do. See, the truth is, no, we, we as human beings, we are rebels. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. And so it's much easier to say, I just don't believe in God. It's not intellectual. You haven't gone to the facts. It is a moral issue with you that you would rather not there be a God so you can be your own God. And so this morning, before you crown yourself God of the universe, I would encourage you, if you're serious about truth, to look to the facts. To look to the facts. The fact is, Jesus Christ rose from the tomb bodily on the third day. And we thank God for it this morning. And so what we will do as believers this morning is I like to look at the glory of the resurrection and what it means for us. Every truth in Scripture, every doctrine has a practical application. It's not just to fill our heads, it's to change our lives. As we think our way through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and its glory, there are four things that it ought to do for us this morning. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his resurrection, confirms his personal claims. Do you know this morning that Jesus said some outrageous things? He said that... No man can take my life from me. I will lay it down, and I will pick it back up again. I will rise it up. He goes on to say that he shared the glory of God. The glory of God. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, he gets a little more specific there when he says, listen, that no man knows the Son but the Father, and no man knows the Father but the Son, and whomever he will reveal him to. And what Jesus is saying here is this. Only divinity comprehends divinity. Could you imagine this morning, if we were downtown Chatham, there's a guy in the street saying, I want you to know I share the glory of God. I want you to know that um, I am deity. I am claiming to be equal with the Father. We would think he's insane, would we not? And yet, these are the claims that Jesus makes. He goes to say this, and think about how ridiculous this is. Here is a peasant man in a small province in Palestine. No political clout, no armies. He doesn't have some great movement happening here. And then he says this. 
I want you to know someday, I will judge the entire world. It's ridiculous. Anyone can make any claim they want to make this morning. We make them all the time. But the truth is, if you die after making those claims, we all know that those claims mean nothing. And so, the glory of the resurrection is this, that Jesus Christ made those claims, and because three days later, he got up, everything that he said about himself and what he would do is completely confirmed. Completely. Look what Paul says about this in in, uh, Romans. No, Acts, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 17. He says this, starting at verse 30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men and women everywhere to repent, because he had appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Paul says there's coming a day when the God of heaven will judge the entire world in righteousness. It will not be unfair. It will not be unjust. There will not be a miscarriage of justice. He will judge righteously. And then he goes on to say this. um, Because he hath appointed a day which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man who he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men. This morning, do you know how we know that what Jesus said about judging the world is true? Because Paul says, God has given us an assurance in that he raised him from the dead. This morning, believer, listen to me. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, every word he said, that he said about himself and about what he would do is completely confirmed, substantiated, and verified. And so, what he said matters. And what he said about himself and his deity and his power is true. And what he said about judging the world someday is true as well. And so the glory of the resurrection is that because of the resurrection, every word that Christ said is confirmed. Number two, because of the resurrection, Christ's humiliation is concluded. I don't think we think enough about this, that the eternal God of heaven, the infinite God of the universe, the one who spoke the world into existence, this God of magnitude and glory took upon him the form of a servant, robed himself in flesh. He became a man. Can I tell you something, Ben? That's humiliating. That the God of heaven would clothe himself, would tabernacle himself in this frail flesh. It's humiliation. And from Mary's womb to Joseph's tomb is a bracket of humiliation for Christ. I think Augustine sums it up when he says this, Man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on his journey, that the truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, and that life might die. This is humiliation. 
But I want you to know something. The glory of the resurrection is this. Because Jesus Christ rose from the tomb, that bracket of humiliation is over with. He will never be humiliated again. He will never be mocked again. He will never be ridiculed again. He will never be laughed at again. He will never be spit upon again. He will never be beaten and scourged again. And he will not be crucified again. Because of the resurrection, that humiliation is over. And he is coming again. And when he comes, he will rule and reign in righteousness. And when he comes, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, and he will rule and reign forever. The glory of the resurrection, his word is confirmed. His humiliation is concluded. Thirdly, because of the resurrection, we have confidence that our redemption has been accomplished. Do you remember what was said on the cross? His last words? It is finished. I was talking to a man this morning. Brother Jim said, just so that you know, those other words, there's only one word there, and it is finished. Finished. He did not say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. This is the cry of a conquering Savior saying, it is finished. The work of redemption is done, but... He died. He was buried. And he laid in the tomb. And it seemed as if death would have the last say. Again, Paul helps us with this. Romans chapter 4 this morning. Because death did not have the last word. Verse number 24 of Romans 4. But for us also... To whom it shall be imputed, that's Christ's righteousness. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus from the dead, uh, our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised for our justification. The glory of the resurrection is this. When he said it is finished, because he rose from the death from the dead, we now know that our justification is secure. The resurrection is God thundering, amen, at the loud cry of Christ. It is finished. And this morning, we can be assured that you and I, as fallen sinners, have salvation. We can know that we know that we know that Jesus is our Savior. Why? Because of the glory of the resurrection. He was raised for our justification. And we rejoice in our redemption this morning. And then finally this morning, the resurrection reminds us that our resurrection will correspond with his. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning, Jesus Christ is called the first fruits. The first fruits. And what that means is it's a, it's a Jewish offering that the first fruit or the first part of the harvest was brought to, to make a sacrifice. And what it meant was this. This is the first fruit. This is the first one. But... The rest of the harvest will follow. And when the Bible calls Jesus the first fruit, what it means is this. He is the first one to rise from the dead, never to die again, and all those who believe in him will follow as well. 
This is the hope of the resurrection. That because he rose bodily, we shall rise as well. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15, and he says this. He says, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, and it is not Donald. It's not. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and we shall be raised incorruptible. And then this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality. And when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? There is. Jesus Christ, because of the resurrection, took the sting out of death. And that great enemy, the great unknown, Jesus Christ went through it. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he rose with a body which tells us, you and I will rise again as well. And though worms can eat this flesh, yet my body, I will see him. I will see him. There's a song that I, I heard this week that I, I really enjoy. It's by Andrew Peterson. And in the song he says this, So I'm waiting for the king to come galloping out of the clouds while the angel armies sing. He's going to gather his people in the shadow of his wings, and I'm going to raise my voice with the song of the redeemed because this darkness is a small and passing thing. And this world can be dark, and it can be tragic. But the hope for us goes beyond all of this because Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. And there's coming a day when we will raise our voices with the redeemed. And in a body, we shall know as we are known. And those who have gone on before us, we will see them, we will hear them, we will embrace them, we will love them. This is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we glory in that truth this morning. Jesus Christ is alive and well today. The tomb is empty, and he is on the loose. So what does that mean for you and I this morning? What does the glory of the resurrection mean for all of us? Number one is this. What he said is true. You, you can't just ignore it. You just can't. I mean, if he's dead, he's dead. If there is no resurrection, then everything that he said can be just thrown aside. It does not matter. But because he is risen, because he is alive, because he confirmed who he was and what he will do, then we need to listen to what he said. And here's what he said. There is coming a day when I will return, and I will judge the world in righteousness in righteousness. And this morning, if you are not found covered in the blood of Christ, if you want nothing to do with God, then when he comes, he will judge you in righteousness and the wrath of God that was poured out on his head, he was the propitiation, he took the wrath, he satisfied God, he did that for you, but if you're not under him, if you're not in him, that wrath will pour down on your head. And if you want nothing to do with God, he will want nothing to do with you for eternity in a place called hell. We all want to talk about heaven. Go to church and talk about heaven. 
there's a heaven, there's a hell. If there's a place for the redeemed, there's a place for those who are lost. And if you are not under the blood, if you've not repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, this same Jesus, who by his own power got up out of the ground, will judge you and will condemn you forever. Forever. And here's the truth this morning. You don't have to die in your sin. Because there was one who died for you. Who gave his life and paid the price that you can repent and come to Christ. So, what he says is true. Now, for the believer this morning, we know what he said is true. We believe that. We understand that his words have been confirmed. We understand that his humiliation has come to a close. We have confidence in our salvation. We say, I know that I know that I'm saved. We rejoice in the fact that this world is passing. The darkness is passing. The dawn is coming. We rejoice in that. But now listen to me, believer, this morning. If 10% of what we say we believe is true, 10%. And what I'm saying to you is, all of it's true. But if only 10% of it was true, you and I as believers should be 10 times more excited about what we have in Jesus Christ. We should be 10 times more interested in sharing the gospel of salvation through Christ alone with everyone that we know. I don't know, but it seems like really good news. That we're condemned under the wrath of God and we can be saved by Christ. We should be 10 times more excited about being in God's house with God's people praising his name. Do you know we do this more than once a year? Really, we actually come here every week to praise God, to adore him, to magnify him. We should be ten times more excited about showing up and gathering with his people and proclaiming his praise. We should be ten times more excited about seeing him work in our lives and transforming us into his image. We should, as God's people, we rejoice this morning. Because Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And this truth should do more than just come into our heads. It should affect all of our lives. And so this morning, if you do not know him, I beg you, stick around. Talk to me. We'll we'll sit down. I'll show you what the Bible says, how you can know Christ as your Savior. But for the rest of us this morning, if only 10% were true of the glories of the resurrection, it should change us. And what I'm telling you, because he got up out of the ground, all of it's true. All of it's true. And we should leave this place revived in our hearts to do more for our Savior. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you stayed. The truth is, many folks here, I know you. I know the congregation. I love you, and I'm glad that you're here. And I pray that the message of the resurrection of Christ and its glory will resonate with every one of us. We would be encouraged that our Lord is right. He's accurate. His words have been confirmed. We'll be encouraged to know that no more humiliation for our Savior. He's coming to rule and reign. We have confidence that he secured our redemption. And as we go through the difficulties of this life with sickness and disease and trouble, This is the dark before the dawn, and the sun is coming. 
and everything will be made right. We rejoice in that. May we leave this place impacted by that truth. It would change us. And then this morning, if you don't know Christ, don't just listen to the gospel and just fluff it off. Be serious. Check out the facts. Because if he is risen from the dead, he is coming again. And if he's coming again, he will judge the world in righteousness. And you need to be found in him and him alone. It is not in religion. It is not in Baptist or Catholic. It's in none of that. It's not in good works. It's not in paying your taxes, being the best person you can be. It is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, you can leave this place redeemed, washed in the blood. And I pray that you do that. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection, and I pray, Lord, that it would impact our hearts in a real and powerful way. Help it to consume us. Help it to give us courage and strength and boldness and peace and comfort. We serve a risen Savior. We thank you that he's alive and well. And Father, help our lives to reflect that this morning and for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.